<laughs> it is a delight to see you today. How's everybody doing? Where I'm from, we say that that can be interpreted as I'm hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. In case you're wondering what that is, that's comic relief because I'm going to come straight at you in the message today. <laughs> God bless you all. I'm thrilled to be here. And um, uh, I, um, I was praying in the lead up to this service and the Lord really just really put this subject on my heart this morning at 5.45, and so I um, threw it together, um, and I'm, I'm pretty certain that this is what he wants me to say to you, so I'm going to, um, and I think um, I had something else all worked out, and often he does that to me. He doesn't let me get settled, and so, oh, well. It's just pride, I mean, you know. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you today about expectations. And expectations really are a big deal. Have you ever thought about expectations? Or have you just been carried through life and the currents of life and you just have expectations? But have you ever thought about expectations and how they impact you and the people around you? It really is a big deal. Um, you know, expectations are a definitive opportunity to reveal our motives and our character. Think about that. Because expectations really sort of preset you for how you're going to react as you're encountering circumstances. So the question is, how many of you have ever been maybe in one situation that you wished it would have gone better? Maybe one? Uh-huh. How many, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you wished you had acted better in a situation? I would... If I could somehow stay in the air and raise both feet off the ground, I would. <laughs> so the question is, God is entirely interested in this dynamic in us. Because you know the Bible? See this? Got a thousand pages in it. This is really a history of people's interpersonal reactions with other people and with God. That's what this is. The reason this is thick, in large part, is because of expectations and perception and understanding versus misunderstanding. So, God is interested in how we respond. We try to make God into an entity that can smooth the road in front of us all the time and be our circumstantial manager where he mitigates all the circumstances. And we know that he doesn't give us things beyond our ability 
to manage, at least temptation-wise, right? That's what it says. And so we, we sort of think through it in the direction of, well, that means that God will smooth out all the wrinkles in front of me. And there have been doctrines and people who try to, you know, turn the Scripture and the power of God into a big steamroller to move all the stuff out of the way. But is that is in reality that what happens? Well, how do you know? Because we live life, right? So how do you respond? I'm, I'm asking, you think about in your life, how is it that you respond in your inner man first and then externally outside yourself when realities prove not to match your expectations. Have you ever been in a situation where your reality didn't match your expectation? How about this? How about this one? How about driving up to the drive-in window? You have an expectation of the quarter pounder that's about to come out of the window and it's conditioned when you get it. Don't you? It's supposed to look like the picture. It's supposed to taste like you expect it to taste. That's actually the brilliance of franchising. Is you, it's, the, it's about the management of expectations. So, you know, you want a quarter, a quarter pounder is supposed to taste like a quarter pounder. It's not supposed to taste like a Whopper. <laughs> if you want a Whopper, you go to Burger King. And if they hand you a Whopper out the McDonald's window, even though you might like a Whopper, your expectations going to get mad. <laughs> this ain't right. This is not what I thought it was going to be. How about this? If they don't get it to you in 30 seconds, what about that one? <laughs> right? The French fries. Oh, man, they got to be hot and fresh. Don't you throw them cardboard cold stale things in my bag. Right? Expectations. We expect that the Happy Meal, we ignore the fact that if we buy it and sit it on the counter, it will not change shape or form in two years. It's somehow not real food, but we love it. And we have an expectation about the way it should taste and about the condition it should be in. So what's your reaction when you get a really cold carton of fries. What do you say to the person who handed you that cold carton of fries? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Expectations. When we find ourselves in circumstances that don't meet our expectations are the definitive opportunity to show our character. Now that's a that's a little bitty example, a Happy Meal or, or a Quarter Pounder Meal. But you can run through your mind and how many of you can just list time after time after time that you've had an expectation about something? Just pick. So the farther distance between what you expect and the reality that you encounter the greater the opportunity of the fiber of who you are to come to bear in your life. 
So the question is, where are you? I think this is fair. You know, the Holy Spirit has a job. It's to convict the world in regard to guilt, sin, truth, and righteousness. This is what it says in John. And the Holy Spirit will work with us every day to make us better. So in the interest of the Holy Spirit's activity to make us better on this morning, let's ask ourselves this question. When, you, when your expectations are not met in a negative way, because everybody has also experiences where they've experienced something that exceeded their expectations. That's happy, isn't it? Right? That's a glimpse of heaven. But we don't usually struggle with exceeded expectations too much. Most of our struggle has to do with unmet expectations. So in the interest of that, what is your the MO of your life in this regard? Do you collapse into ever-increasing spirals of disappointment? You know, until you're jaded and bitter because nothing ever goes right for you? Is that where you live? Or do you reach down deep inside and learn to walk in the void of the unknown, gaining incredible character? in your life that rounds you out as a strong, resolute, and undaunted child of God. Our opportunity for the development of character at this level only rises to the surface when we're wrestling with disappointment. When we're happy and excited and, wow, that's, everything's going just right, there's little growth on a personal character level in those equations. Right? right. Does this make sense? Yeah. Are you tracking with me? Yes, sir. Expectations and how we handle those expectations in our lives play the major role in setting our or the quality of our experiences. Have you ever been on a trip somewhere with somebody who just was sour grapes all the time? Yes. Complaining, griping, whining. And it, you just really want to go with them next time, don't you? Do they not impact the quality of your very own self-same experience? Yes. And you know what? They made their own self miserable while they was making you miserable. I didn't know it was going to be like this. So, could that person not have chosen to have a better attitude? Maybe you even had a discussion with them about having a better attitude. In the interest of discipleship. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, so, you get the gist of where I'm going. Don't we live with the reality of this dynamic every day? 
with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your coworkers, with the government. With, I mean, you got, inter, you got other people in your life. You have this dynamic. Everybody agree with that? Yes, sir. Total unity in the room. Okay, so could this dynamic possibly apply to our relationship with God? Do we have expectations with God? And if it's possible for us to misunderstand another human being, could it be possible for us to misunderstand God? Or to have expectations about God that are not true? While at the same time loving very deeply the God that we misunderstand? Do you think that's possible? How many of you have ever encountered that in your life? Oh, yeah. So what is it that sets our expectations about God? How about what we believe about the Bible? There's a really good place to start the development of our expectations about God and about what God is like and about God's effect on the world and on me and on my kids and everybody around me. You follow me? You agree with that? How about life experiences? Life experiences also go into the fabric of the development of what we expect about God. Agreed? Okay, so everything is fine up until the point where what you believe about God and what you experience from God don't match or they're far apart or they're not together. Some things, man, run right down the road, and for, for a time, they run together, and they have congruence, and there's total harmony. But all of a sudden, invariably, you are going to run head into something that what you believe and what you experience goes... Anybody ever experience anything like that? You can pick almost any subject and find an example from your life that fits that. One example, one subject that it could apply to is, say, the subject of healing. You come to believe about God, and you may even have experiences with the power of God, but then all of a sudden somebody in your family gets sick, and it doesn't end like you want it to, and there's nothing that you can do to change the circumstances. And so in those moments, what is it? What's your, what's your response? Who are you on the in, inside? What, what is your foundational expectation then? How many of you know anything about building houses? Raise your hand. At least cognitively. Okay, so Marty, right, let's go build a house. We're going to start with the roof. Bad idea. Bad idea. You can start in another location with the roof. Okay. Just not your house, right? No, you don't start with the roof. You start with the foundation. The, fa the foundation probably is the most important part of the building process because it holds everything else up. And you can change a lot of stuff. It's hard to go back in there and change the foundation once it's in. And if you don't have the right expectations 
in the ingredients of the concrete of your foundation, then things get really disruptive. And if you run into enough of an, of, of, uh, an emotional quagmire and of a really difficult experience that you hit that causes wide divergence between what you believe and what you experience, your base value about God and how you perceive about Him, that's when it really comes to the surface. Because what is your response going to be about Him when you don't understand what's happening? Do you let your misunderstanding with God, a misunderstanding, which has fed expectations... Does that cause you problems with God himself? Okay, so this is like right down. That I'm shucking this right down to the cob. This is right where it meets, the rubber meets the road. Where people have deep and difficult conflicts internally. This is all about perception versus reality and expectations. Do you see that? And I think we've all had these experiences and we've all navigated through the distance between what we expect and what we perceive and reality, the facts. We've all had trouble. That's not easy to navigate those voids, those black holes. We train missionaries now and we tell them to begin with, the distance between expectations and reality, between what you think it's going to be like on the mission field and when you actually get there, however far that is, however far distance you have to come in your emotions, in your understanding, in your mind, that has a direct impact on whether you will make it through the journey or will you collapse somewhere in the middle. This is not like I thought. This is not, I didn't sign up for this. How many of you have ever heard, thought that, heard that? Or, you know, you might be right there right now. Me. I did not sign up for this. You know, you ever read Ezra and Nehemiah? You know, they got over there and started building a wall, and that's what they said. I did not sign up for this. Ezra pulled his own hair out. Nehemiah pulled other people's hair out. <laughs> I like the Nehemiah thing in my discipleship model. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's biblical. I could claim that it's biblical if I pull your hair out when you frustrate me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm really off in the weeds now. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> What sets our expectations about God? What we believe about the Bible? Life experiences. How about this one? Our level of encounter with God. Everybody's at a different level of encounter. Has nothing to do with your spirituality. But that, would you agree that that does impact what you expect and your understanding about God and everything? You know, I, 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 when I was 19 years old, I went blind. And I stayed blind for about four months and Jesus healed me. And yeah, I had an incurable genetic disease, macular dystrophy, and stuff happened in the genes, and 
I couldn't see. And then Jesus healed me. And so my level of encounter and understanding about healing, I moved from where I used to be into something else. And so now when a person who doesn't believe that God heals now tries to have a conversation with me, I know that they're wrong. I don't have to be mean about it. And my expectation is different than that person's. It doesn't mean that they don't know God and that they don't love God. It's just we have different expectations there. Your level of encounter affects your expectations, like what you believe about the Bible, like, what, like your life experiences that you navigate through. How about this one? Oh, this one's a big one. How about our relationship with other Christians? Everybody say amen. amen. Instead of thinking, oh, me. Yes, our interactions, our relationships with other Christians also impact our expectations and our perception about God. So, have you, how many of you ever been to Six Flags and ridden a roller coaster? How many of you like it? Anybody here not like it? One or two. Okay. You don't like the roller coaster. You know you don't like it because you went on there and had an experience, right? But is that the roller coaster's fault that you don't like it? No. It's not. It's not the roller coaster's fault that you like it. So when we approach life and the impact that other Christians and other people have on us... And they provide all these roller coasters upon which we decide whether we like it or we don't like it. How come the roller coaster gets the blame instead of me? If I don't like the roller coaster, I'm the one not liking it. It's not the roller coaster has anything to do with it. Does that make sense? If I said to Marcus, Marcus, you just made me so mad when you did that. How many of you ever thought something like that? Raise your hand. Be honest. Because liars go to hell. You got to be honest. <laughs> you just made me so mad. Really? Marcus's action is the roller coaster. But I'm the one who got mad. He didn't make me. Really, he climbed inside my hypothalamus, seized control of my endocrine system, and possessed me so that I had no choice in the get mad part. Really? That's good preaching, brother. <laughs> this is called personal responsibility. You see what I'm saying? No, if I get mad at Marcus, I'm the one getting mad at him. He's not making me. His actions provided an opportunity upon which for me to decide something. So, God's expectations about us. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about that now, am I? I can keep it in the here and now, and I can talk about all this stuff. But So if, if we have expectations on God, 
Do you think he might have some expectations for us? I know it's, it's not, it's sort of kind of going away the fact that preachers proclaiming the expectation that God has on us. And the big one is, don't put that legalism on me, brother. Really? The roller coaster's not the, 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 the problem here. Here's what I'm saying. If Marty prays and fasts and it comes out of his love from his heart, and I pray and fast, and to me it's drudgery and dead legalism, is it the prayer and fasting that's at fault? And the fact that some preacher told me I should do it? Is that what causes the legalism? Or do I make it legalism because of my attitude about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be holy because I'm holy. That's what the scripture says. Without holiness, no one will see God. Did you know that was in the Bible? Yeah. Okay, so is the way to deal with it to just drive a, a bulldozer through the roller coaster and, and, and move all the roller coasters out so there's no more opportunity? Is that the answer? Or is the answer letting the power and the love and the grace of God work in me so that my perspective and my attitude changes about those roller coasters in my life? Make sense? Everybody following me? You know... What, what is it that sets God's expectation about us? Because God's not limited by our lack of discernment, insight, or wisdom. So he's not the one that at, 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 has a handicap. We are. He doesn't misunderstand us. He's got a copy. Don't put that legalism on me. I'm not going to do that because God knows my heart. Yes, he knows your heart. He does. He knows that the human heart is wicked above all things. That's what it says in the scripture. But he's decided to do something about that. It's called his grace. His grace, you see, he self-determines what his expectations for us are. And then he helps us meet those expectations. That's what his son's all about. That's what the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's called the grace of God. Great, God's grace is not somehow His permission for us to sin. It's not the thing that works in us that makes it okay that we're sinful. Mercy is the thing that stops the wrath of God and the judgment of God. But the grace of God works in us and helps us rise up beyond ourselves to meet the expectations that God has for us. That's why we need Him. That's why Jesus died. He knows. He's not all tripped out by the fact that we're broken. He decided to save us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? And that's God saying, look, if you can't say, if you can't honestly answer, yes, I'm responding well, out of love for God. And you know, no, I respond terrible. But I still love God. Yes. 
But now God wants you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And what that means is just to take his help for transformation. Because if you claim to have gotten saved, but you're not changing, you didn't meet Jesus. Because it's impossible to meet Jesus and not begin to change. He's very, very, very impacting. And he doesn't, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish we could do the encounter plan of discipleship. <laughs> Where somebody could just have a power encounter and they get a miracle and then they're a super Christian and they're just like all the 12 disciples all piled up in one pile. All their strengths, none of their weaknesses because God makes a super Christian. Is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. It's a process, and God has decided that he's okay with that process. That's what the cross did for us. But he's not okay with you not engaging with him in that process. He's not okay with that. God has expectations. They exist. And I know that, you know, in cycles, doctrinally, we have leaders that try in their effort of watching people go through the anguish of this process, they decide to move the bar. They decide to change the truth. They decide to turn the truth into relativism. And, and, and they want the society to be in charge. And, and they all these things. And, 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 and then they, they come up with new ways to say old ideas like sin doesn't exist and hell doesn't exist. And, but, you know, it ends up there. And because out of compassion, they respond that way. But that's no fix for anything. God wants us to engage with His presence and His Spirit. And He will help us. And He'll start the transformation process inside us. Right? Grace, power, love, indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm going to say something. Don't get mad at the roller coaster or the preacher who built the roller coaster. Obedience is love's expression to God. Oh, man, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Yep. But I didn't write it. How about reading John 14, 15? If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, that's hard to crawfish out from around that. I mean, that just mash you right down in the mud and hold you there. You're not going to get away from it. We're not going to get away from it. You know... The scripture says Jesus is a rock and, upon, and, and everybody who falls on the rock breaks and everybody upon whom the rock falls is crushed. We got two options. We can humble ourselves and run up there and fall down on Jesus and, and it's hard. It breaks. But what is it that breaks? It's everything that's bad in us that breaks. And your pride that's the last thing that our pride wants. Break. Are you kidding? Run up there and fall on Jesus. That's hard. Huh? That's uncomfortable. But God is love. They told, he told me that. That preacher told me that. But this preacher over there, he told me something else. I like him. I don't like him. I get to pick and choose. We do that, right? But that's not a solution. When we run up and we fall on Jesus and it breaks our pride and it breaks the things that are contrary to God, 
That's the thing that God, that triggers God infusing himself into us that gives us the transformation and, it, and that causes, the more that that happens, the more of the life of God brings you alive as a new creation. If you never do that, hey, the rock's coming, buddy, and it's moving this time. It's not just sitting still. It's moving and it's going to crush you and that's the ultimate judgment and hell's the end of that. And that's not where we want to go there. I don't want any of you to go to hell. <gasps> hell. He said hell. That preacher said hell. <laughs> I didn't think we preached on hell anymore. So just go do a study and see how much Jesus talked about it. Please. I don't want anybody to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. It exists. There are consequences. Why? Because God does have expectations. But He's provided everything we need to meet His expectations. That's the good news. Gospel. Good news. The difference between legalism and devotion is your attitude. It's not your action. They're just preaching legalism. It's impossible to preach legalism. Legalism is a state of attitude that exists inside a human being. It's not printed on a piece of paper. And we need to grow a backbone and say, yes, I take responsibility. I got mad. It's me. I will respond. I'm going to go fall on the rock. It's just another way of saying, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus because I want to be a disciple. He's not expecting perfect, flawless execution, but he is expecting that attitude and desire in us that's strong enough to cause us to engage. Even if you got a trip and fall on the rock, stumble up there and fall. Just make sure you fall on him. Selfishness focuses on me, 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 and this world and the things of this life more than selfishness is this life and the things that impact me and that being the, fo the center focus of my being. But what does the scripture say? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, don't, first things first, you got to have the right stuff in the foundation, right? The fix your eyes on heaven is one of those ingredients. Not be distracted and try to figure out how to utilize and leverage God to get your life to be better and more blessed here. Better and more blessed is an outcome of the great love of God for us when we fall and we break. It's a result of what follows. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ Jesus. I know that this life has concerns. It really does, and Jesus knows that. But he's talking about perspective, expectations, attitude, and orientation. Matthew chapter 6 talks about the, the concerns that we have and the stuff that we need to be concerned with. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 6? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will line up and be taken care of. Read the book. Actually, you, start, you should start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. And when you get done, you should start over. And let it go on a continual loop for the rest of your life. Then you understand better about God's expectation. If the only Bible you're getting is from the books that you go buy from your favorite author and what you hear from this platform, and oh man, oh, help us Jesus, your expectation has got all kinds of stuff out of whack in it. You want to understand the full nature and the whole counsel of God? Read Him from beginning to end. Read the Bible and pray every day and you will be amazed at what happens in your life. So how is it that you see the Bible if what you believe about the Bible determines expectations, perception, understanding? You have misunderstandings with people. We have misunderstandings with God all the time. I mean, be honest. What I'm saying is, the Bible says, we see now as through a glass darkling or a dirty window. We don't see clear. I don't see clear. So that means I misunderstand. I miss some parts of the graphic reality and absolute truth that God is in His glory. I don't understand Him now like I will later. That in itself sets up a miss, some degree of misunderstanding. And it's that sliding scale that the devil utilizes to beat us up one side and down the other. He exploits that condition. But it's that very condition that ensures our ability to weigh in from our heart and love God just because. Because love without faith is not love. It really isn't. So how do you see the Bible? What is your view about what's written? Is it God's Word? Is it just a bunch of suggestions that are just designed to better your life and you, you have the option to choose them so that you can get more blessing and you'll be less blessed if you don't? Is it inerrant? You know, Jesus Himself didn't speak on His own. He only spoke the words that he heard his father speaking. And so we make a decision, a core decision. I'm going to believe and trust what it says. No matter what the newfangled 
theologians and seminaries are teaching that God used evolution in all kinds of heresy. Wow. Just say what you think. I just did, I think. <laughs> but the evidence, the evidence is wrong. God spoke. And the universe came into being. That's what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter to me how flawless or how foolproof somebody presents a proof to me. My core decision is I'm completely closed-minded and intolerant to the fact that God's Word might not be the absolute unmovable truth the way it's written. And if there's something in here that I don't understand, how many of you understand everything in the Bible? I don't care because my relationship with Jesus and my level of encounter doesn't have to have all the answers. They ask Einstein's wife if she understood the theory of relativity and she said, no, I don't understand it. But I know Albert and he can be trusted. That's my heart with God. I don't have ears if you try to convince me that this is not inerrant and that Jesus doesn't exist and all those things. I just, it just, you know, it's not true. It doesn't matter what proof that somebody thinks they have. And so that's in my foundation. That does something with my expectations about God. And that, that causes me to view people in a certain way about the realities of heaven and the realities of hell and caring for their soul. So, what do you think about this? Do you think this somehow applies? And where are you with it? So I want the prayer team to come. Please. And what I want you to do, and you can play something. You can do that, right? Okay. <laughs> I want you to really think about this. Are you happy with your inner man? This is not a challenge about whether you know or love God. But this is an appeal to get you to think through and take, a, take your pulse. Are you happy with your inner man and the way you react to things when you, your, your expectations and your experience in a given situation don't match? Or is there grumbling and complaining and I need Jesus to work in me on this level because this is the level he's looking at the most.
And I want to say to you that as you bow your heads, I'm really sorry if other people have affected you and imposed on you things that caused you to set expectations and then you were deeply disappointed. But way down deep inside, Jesus is not happy about your disappointment. He wants to give you power to help that disappointment drain away out of your life and out of your emotions. Maybe your disappointment has worked itself into bitterness. Or maybe you're like, yes. You're like, this message, I'm all over it. I'm eating it. It feels like life to me, but you know that this is spoken to you and you want want some people to pray with you to be more strengthened because this is your value or you, you can't say it's my ever-loving joy and, and, and grace and peace to, to, to get to offer to God in the middle of a bad situation.